This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. On Parshish Shmini 5781, we're going to talk about locusts, and we're going to talk about everything that we can, that we can bring up about locusts. Parak Yud says, This you may eat out of all creepy, crawly things that fly. They have to walk on four legs. If you look at the word in the Pusik, the word low is spelled Lamed Aleph, but it's pronounced as Lamed Vav. Now, that doesn't make a difference to us. We don't know a difference between Lamed Aleph and Lamed Vav. Low is low. But it's written as low with an Aleph that it doesn't have, but it's read as low it does have. Kro'ayim. Legs, mimaularaglov, that go above its other feet. So four legs that are down there, and then two that are much higher than the others. We all know what a grasshopper is. We all know what a locust is. They have two legs that are higher than the others. Lenatra bahain alaoritz, to jump with them upon the ground. In Chavbez, as Elamayam Tochlu, the following locusts you may eat. Esho arbe lemino, vesa salam liminehu, vesa chargol liminehu, vesa chagov liminehu. Those are the four types of locusts and all the species along with them that you're allowed to eat. Now Rashi translates in a very strange way. He says locusts that are kosher have two-leg appendages. They're not actually legs, but they're leg-like appendages, which we would call like the big tall ones, right near its neck, aside from the regular four legs that it uses to walk on the ground. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a locust before or a grasshopper, but there is not a single locust or grasshopper out there that has legs in the front of its body as opposed to the back of its body. Every single locust that you've ever seen has two legs, two legs, just like that. And then the big ones are in the back. But he says it's by the neck. We're going to have to work on that a little bit later. But that's that. And it is for that it walks with on the ground itself. When it wants to fly or jump, it uses those two extra legs. That's what those two extra legs are for. There are many different types in France, he says, that are called lusta. But we're not experts in what is kosher and what are not kosher. All we know is that there are four simonim, to kasher a locust. The four simonim are, they have to have four legs, four wings, four wings altogether, the two legs that are higher than the other four legs, two of them have to be up there, and the wings covering more than half of its body. If it has those four simonim, that's what makes it kosher. Now the truth is, every single grasshopper or locust that exists today have these simonim. Crickets don't. Crickets don't have them, but every single grasshopper and locust that exists today have these simonim. Some have long heads, some have short heads, some have a tail, some don't have a tail. Some are called by the name Chagov, and whatever it is, and the Rashi says the only ones that are kosher are the ones that are actually called these names. Chagov, Arba, Salam, and Chargol, as well as their different subspecies, the little parts behind it, those are the ones that are kosher. But again, we don't know how to differentiate them. We don't know the definition of these, says Rashi. That's why we don't eat locusts anymore. That's why we don't have them. Now, Targum Yonason translates these four as Govai, Roshuna, Nifula, and Karzava, or Nidona. 
depending on what you look at. Miyam Lois adds another four based on the word Limineu and Limino, which are Duchinas, Otsarnaya, Tsiporis Kramim, and Yochana Yerushalmi. So the Gemara's names for them are a little bit different. He says that there are eight types that are kosher, eight different types of locusts that are kosher, and that's that. The Torah Tamima says the Tsiporis Kramim is a type of Arba that has no forehead. The Yochana is a Salam, Right with uh, with a forehead, the artsubna is a chargol with a tail. The harzavnis is a type of chagav. They might look different, but they're of the same basic type, and therefore those are the ones that are kosher. That's how the Miyamlois defines them. That's how it goes through. The Paris Yosef points out that there are other <coughs> names of locusts. You might have heard the name chasil or yelek or gazam. But they are not kosher. Those are some of the examples of locusts that are not kosher, and it doesn't work. And the Radak tries to explain the meaning behind each one of these names over there in Yol. Not important to us, we're not dealing with the not kosher ones, but there are some that are not kosher. Now, the Ibn Ezra says that the word Arabe is based on the word Reboy, and that makes sense. When these locusts come together in a swarm, they multiply like crazy. They multiply so rapidly. There are so many babies that are born at one time. There are so many of them, and that's why it's called Arbe. Sal'am lives by Sla'im, by the rocks. They hang out by rocks. They live near rocks, and therefore they're called the Sal'am. Chargol either is one word, says the, the Ibn Ezra, and it has no twin in the Torah. There's nothing else like it. Chargol is just the name of this locust. Or it's made of two different words, chur and gal, in the holes inside mounds, which is seemingly the opposite of the salam, which lives in rocks. These are in the holes of little mounds on the ground. That's that. The chagav is a word that's known to all as a grasshopper. The Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says chargol should really be read as charag regel. It's lame in its foot. It has no ability to fly. It only jumps a bit. That could be why it's called nipul. Nipul is that it falls to the ground. It, nipul is also used to describe a pigeon that cannot fly, a very, very young pigeon. That's what the Bartanur and the Tzvar Yisrael say in Baba Basra, Chaf Gimel Amad Beis. The nipul applies for this grasshopper, this locust that refers to over here, that it jumps and come back, comes back to the ground. It doesn't fly per se. The nipul is a reference to a type that only jumps and does not fly. The chizkuni says the word chargol means it digs down with its feet to jump up higher. It puts itself down in order to go a little bit further. That's how it does, and it steadies itself, it gets itself ready, etc., etc. And the Moshe Zakanim adds certain characteristics based on the Gemara and Chulin, and Gimel, and Dalid, and Hey, etc. The Arba has no forehead, the Salam has no tail, the Chargol lives in holes, it has a tail, but its head is not very long. But the truth is, all of these things are so relative, and it's strange to be able to figure out Says the Moshe of Zakanim, if it's called the Chargol or called the Salam or called the Arbet, then it's kosher. Now, nobody translates what exactly these types of locusts are. The only person who has the gall to do so is Ravaria Kaplan. If anybody's seen the big purple Chumash that looks like it belongs in a conservative repository, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't fit all the others farm that we have. Ravaria Kaplan is beyond the genius and worked so hard and figuring out everything, the translation to everything in the Torah. We have no idea if he's correct, although we'll see that there is the Yemenites who have an idea behind this, but listen to how Ravarie Kaplan figured this out. Just a little bit of information before we start, before we go into it. Did you know that there's no real difference between a locust and a grasshopper? 
everybody know that? A locust is a grasshopper. Thank you so much, Ellie. I'm here, this is my locust, guys, just so you know. This is given to me by a friend of mine, Eric Fisher. He found it for me. This is an actual locust that we have over there. I'll let you guys look at it first. There you go. Okay, you see it? It's got that. And it's kosher because it does have the little ches on the bottom of its little chest. But I'll pass it around for you. Okay, but there is no difference between a grasshopper and a locust. There is absolutely no difference between them. The locust is, the, what we call locusts, are short-horned grasshoppers that have a swarming phase. There is a time in their lives where they swarm together. It is the grasshopper. At certain times when certain conditions, which is drought followed by rapid plant growth, the grasshoppers, these types of creatures that eventually become, they, these grasshoppers decide that it's time for them to have a lot of babies. When they have a lot of babies, then they swarm together. Now, the truth is, this is not an anomaly only by grasshoppers and locusts. Kangaroos do the exact same thing. They just don't fly. When there's very dry conditions, kangaroos do not have a lot of babies, and they stay in certain areas. When there's a ton of plant growth and there's a lot of food out there, kangaroos will have tons of babies, and they will fill all over the place. They'll literally swarm the land. So locusts do the same, obviously to a much greater degree. So usually, locusts, grasshoppers, do not hang out with one another. You'll see one or two, whatever it is, but you've all seen grasshoppers before. They don't go together. At certain conditions, at certain times, they will do so, and that becomes a locust swarm. So there is no difference when we talk about the biology of a, a grasshopper and locust, there is absolutely no difference between them. Nowadays, these swarms are really rare. I don't know if you've even heard of a locust swarm within the last 25 years. They happen, but we usually can figure it out. The scientists are able to figure out when it's going to happen. They register where the locusts are, where the grasshoppers are, and they usually spray bug spray all around to make sure it doesn't happen. Almost every single time, they stop them from happening. But, unfortunately, it does still happen. It does happen in Africa. It happens in Eastern Asia. It does still happen. Even now, in 2021, there still can be locust swarms, especially in Africa. It's funny, because officially, the only place where there is no locust swarm, there hasn't been a locust swarm in over 140 years, is North America. Interesting, right? South America has issues. Even Central America has issues. For whatever reason, North America has been pretty much clear of locust swarms. The last locust swarm officially was in the late 1800s, and obviously Antarctica, but I don't think you have to worry about that. That's the idea. The problem with, which figuring, out, with figuring out which locust we're talking about over here, because again, they're all grasshoppers, is that they change colors, and they change their shapes and sizes so rapidly when they go from the grasshopper to the locust sta stage that you could see the exact same genetically equal locust and they could look totally different from one another. Where you look at one thing and it looks like this and you look at another thing and it's like that, they're totally different and yet they're the exact same species. So I didn't speak to somebody who's an expert on locusts or grasshoppers. I only did all my research, which I usually do. It's just a crazy idea that it makes sense now. When we say you need to have these names, even though these simonim seem to be pretty clear by every locust and every grasshopper, you have these simonim, 
it's clear that you need to know which names we're talking about because only specific ones become kosher. Now, the Arba, says Ravari Kaplan, is the red locust. If you look on the side, I do have the picture right over here on your sheets. Usually only its legs are red. It's not actually a red locust. Generally speaking, the word Arba refers to any Sunamese or desert locust. It's called Cystocerca. Gregaria. They enter Eretz Yisrael in swarms at one time. I will tell you, the last time I saw something, there was a locust swarm in the year 2000 in Israel. It never hit Israel. It was in Jordan, and you could see it from where I was. I was in Bayakov, and we could see this swarm over there. It was like yellow. The whole day was yellow. And there were, there were locusts that landed on the streets. It wasn't the swarms. The swarms were all in Jordan. But we could see it from where we were. We were on top of a hill looking out, and you could sort of see Jordan from where we were. But they were there, and I remember picking them up. They were all over, and I was told that they were the desert locust. That was this. This salam is the yellow locust. And I do have the picture of the yellow locust right here, called Daba in Arabic. That's how Rav Sadiagon translates it. It's described as having a bald head, but as a timeout, every locust looks like it has a bald head. They're all Briner Leckers. It's not like one of them is this, and then you have hair on the other ones. They all look pretty bald. It's very long. It's sometimes called the bald locust or the long-headed locust. In Nida, Chafheyom et Aleph, this locust is supposed to resemble a human embryo in its first stages of development. I have no idea what that means, but it is used to describe what the human embryo looks like in very, very early. The Haragol is the spotted gray locust. You have a picture right over there on the side that has a tail, and you can see that tail right over there as well. Some say it refers to a long-horned grasshopper, and guys, that long-horned grasshopper is found in North America. Those are the green grasshoppers that you see. It would refer to them, I mean, they have to have the actual horns as opposed to just the antenna, but they do exist here since the female of the species has a very long protuberance, which means a long, long tail that goes at the end, and it lays its eggs from there. Maybe that's why it's called Nipul, because it's the biggest of all the grasshoppers. And the Nephilim were the giants. Everybody remembers Shum Hayuan Nephilim, right? They're the Nephilim that were there at that time. The Mishnah and Shabbos Perak Bab Yud says the eggs were used as amulets. If you had them, you put them inside a little thing around your neck, you could wear them around, and they were considered something as good luck. They would be something that would give you good luck. The Chagav is the white locust, seems to be the smallest of all the locusts. That's a picture on the side as well. They're not white. They're just not, you know, colorful or anything like that. Now, all of these are based on Yemenite traditions. This is how Ravari Kaplan got his ideas. They're brought by Rav Yosef Kapach in Halichos Teiman on page 218, as well as Rav Sadiagon's translations from a thousand years ago. These customs say that all locusts are only permitted when they come in swarms. Remember what I said before? All grasshoppers are technically locusts. But they're only mutter when they swarm. They look different. They act different. They're different creatures. They're only mutter when they actually swarm. If they come individually, it wouldn't work. And that excludes every grasshopper on its own and every cricket. They're completely gone. There's also a safer called Aricha Sashochan. I tried finding it. I couldn't find it. But I, I didn't do that great of a job over here. That, and I also didn't check the computer because I'm not good at that stuff. That mentions this tradition. He says, the locust that is kosher is called Al-Jarad. Al-Jarad is the one that's kosher. And it has three subspecies that are included here. And those are the ones that are kosher. So there's a question. If someone would need a specific misora for themselves, 
that they had from their parents, they got from their parents and their parents in order to eat a locust, or if they re- could rely on this tradition that the Yemenites have that these locusts are kosher. There's a rush brought by the Elisha Shachar that talks about this a little bit. The two experts in the field are Dr. Ari Zivotovsky and Dr. Ari Greenspan. I'm only saying because these guys go everywhere. If you've ever heard the Ari and Ari thing that, that are in Mishpacha magazine, they do a great job of working out what is this and what is that, and they give it over to the English-speaking public. It's a really good job of what they do. You can look them up. They have stuff online that I'm just not good at getting at and whatever it is, and that's that. I, the truth is, I have no desire to eat a locust whatsoever. I, I'd much rather have a donut. But if a person had that desire, they did have something here a couple years ago at the at Shalitz, I think it was. And Rabbi Schwartz was the one who allowed, if there, there is a Yemenite tradition for these specific locusts, which they have, then he allowed people to go to this dinner and to eat the locusts that were there. So the question is, can you do that, can you not? There are some that hold, Revol Yashiv was supposedly very machmer, right? I'm, I'm doing such a thing. But it's possible that, look, if you eat eggplant, you might as well eat locusts. So you, you can go ahead and you can have them, and they technically, they work, and you'd be able to crunch down on something that has a ton of protein. You know that, right? The amount of protein in a tiny little locust is something like 200 times the amount of, of protein you would get in a piece of meat that size. It's really amazing. It's a crazy thing to think about, but that's what it would be over here. So if you want the specifics, those I think are the specifics of which ones are kosher. And if you want the real idea of what you can do and if you can actually eat it, there are poskim that hold its mutter, there are poskim that shy away from it. I'm personally not going to be eating it, so it's perfectly fine. As Nayan Torah says, even though Rashi said it's got to be called by these names, it's not necessary unless there's something weird about the locust. But again, the Oznayim Torah was not actually going into the hatchery. He's just saying, technically, the four simonim are right there. If they have the four simonim and the name applies to them, they would be mutter. The Marsha in Chulin, Samach Vav, questions Rashi. Rashi is, as we said before, the, the, the tall legs have to be by its neck. We don't even understand what that means. Does a locust have a neck? It's very questionable. Now, we'll bring down the Orachayim HaKadosh. This Orachayim HaKadosh, he says he wrote in his parish to Yoridea in Simon Pei Hay. Simon Pei Hay in Yoridea deals with all the types, these different types of animals, etc. One of them being locusts. They deal with, there's Pei Dalit, Pei Hay, and Pei Vav. He says, we hold like Rashi. This is how the Orachayim HaKadosh says. We need the long legs to be by its neck. People think that they could match types of locusts because there are no such locusts as legs by its neck. It doesn't exist. So they think that Rashi must be wrong, says the Orachayim HaKadosh. But they shouldn't, because even though we don't see these locusts today, especially the majority, it's possible that the majority of locusts are actually Tomei. That's why the Torah only lists the ones that are actually kosher, which are less. And a Kaddish Baruch Hu only has a few that he branded to be Tor, and that's it. So maybe these locusts exist in areas that we've never seen. But again, the Orachim HaKadosh is assuming then that there is a locust out there that has long legs starting from the front of its body that go all the way to the back. We've never seen it, says the Orachim HaKadosh. We don't know what it is, but it's possible that this is what it's referring to. Extremely strange, but it's possible that it's referring to. Now, I just want to make sure everybody knows. The Orachim HaKadosh lived in Morocco. He moved to Eretz Yisrael toward the end of his life, but he lived in Morocco. He says, therefore, do not eat them. Remember, he's talking to Moroccan Jews who Mistama also had a Mesorah at one point for this. 
But he said, do not eat them. And he protested when he saw that people believed they could eat them based on it. He said, don't eat them. When people, he said the following, when the people in the West, he's referring to people in Tunisia and Western Morocco, heard my psak about this and stopped eating them, Hashem rewarded them by not plaguing them with locusts that ate their crops for 12 years. This is because the Torah and good deeds are like a shield before punishment, says the Orachayim HaKadosh, and that's why they weren't affected. Now, the Talioros explains what the Orachayim HaKadosh was talking about. He lived in the city called Meknes, which is in north-central Morocco, west of Fez, east of Rabat. Fez is right there on the ocean itself, and Rabat is toward the middle. This is right in the middle of that, this city of Meknes. There were Chachamim at the time who, as a Horas Shaw, there was a huge locust plague. They ate everything. People were starving. And in order to make sure that they didn't die, they mattered them to eat locusts. They said, you can eat these locusts because it has the four simonim. They allowed them to eat those locusts. So the people obviously salted their locusts, pickled their locusts, whatever it is, and they ate them. Now, when the plague stopped, when the, 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 the swarm stopped, the people kept eating these locusts. They, were, they had the regular crops already, but they kept eating them because they said, well, look, if it's mutter, it's mutter, right? Once it becomes mutter, it's mutter. It's like my brother once, my brother was once, uh, he, he, he was drinking milk from the fridge and he just took the milk and started chugging it. And my wife went up to him and said, what are you doing? You're flashic. And he's like, all right. And then he kept drinking it. Well, he's like, I just told you you're flashic. And he's like, once you're milchic, you're milchic. Now, there happens to be a shita that way, but we don't pask in that way, and we can't do it. They thought, like, once it's mutter, it's mutter. They didn't think it was Orasha. So the Orachim HaKadosh looked into it and said, even though it's possible that these locusts are the kosher ones that the Yemenites have their Mesorah for, we can't allow this Orasha to continue. And he told him, he let his opinion be known, that it's absolutely us to eat them, and stopped almost everyone from eating them. That's what it refers to over here. And even though they used to have locust swarms every few years, from that point mm-hmm. on, until the Orachayim HaKadosh was dead, there were no locust swarms while they listened to the Orachayim HaKadosh, his edict, not to eat these locusts. Now, the Marpel Lashon, Rebchia Kera, says he cannot understand, like we said before, what the Orachayim HaKadosh is saying, that there were legs by its neck. Now, as a timeout, don't give me the business of, well, Rashi probably didn't know what a locust looked like. I hate it when people say that. There's no way Rashi's going to write a parish on something with his Ruach HaKodesh and say, yeah, it's probably like this, but I'm not sure, and be wrong about it. There's just no way. I'm not saying that Rashi is infallible, that he was a god and nothing, but Rashi was a tzaddik beyond tzaddikim. HaKadosh Baruch is not going to let a mistake like that happen to somebody like Rashi. I hope everybody understands what I'm saying over here. He's not an absolute god. Yeah. What T, uh, Rav Chaim Kanievsky? Yeah, yeah I, yes, yes. And he wouldn't paskin, and he wouldn't paskin on it, right, until he figured out what it was. You know what I'm saying? Like, he wouldn't translate it and say, here's what T probably is. It's probably a tablecloth. No. It's a, like, nobody's going to be that silly. Rashi's not going to say, like, eh, it's probably like this. I, I do agree. Sometimes I see certain things in Rashi, and it's very difficult for me to understand. That doesn't mean Rashi's wrong or that he's talking about something else. It's just a way of understanding it. So the way I look at it is sort of the way that Tosas does everything in Shas. When Tosas asks the Kasha, there's one of three ways that he answers up that Kasha. The, when he says Vim Tomar, when it's a Tema, it's a little bit different. But if you have Vim Tomar, it's either going to be he's going to answer by saying, 
these places are different from one another because they're talking about two different things. Or he's going to say it's two different opinions. Or he's going to say that basically he's going to change the case and say, well, that has to be this and this has to be that, even though it's really dochik. It's going to be one of those three things. In that way, I would tell you that when Rashi's talking over here, it seems like it's we, us, that are mistranslating the Rashi. Although it says that the long legs have to be by the neck, which we've never seen by a single locust, and the reason why the Orachim Akadr says you can't eat locusts because we've never seen a locust like this. Nonetheless, it's possible that the word karsulin, that Rashi, that we're translating as, as, as the back legs, it could be referring to joints. Now, when you have joints, technically, you have joints all over your body. This is a joint. This is a joint. My wrist is a joint. Every single one of my fingers has multiple joints. That's why it's called yad, right? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. There are 14 joints, so it's called a yad. And yad and yad is koach together. I learned that from a cab driver, because that's what happens when you <laughs> go into cabs in Eretz Yisrael. But either way, but that's what a yad is. For, for that reason, it could be that all joints are called karsulin. That's done so throughout Tanakh, says the Marpe Lashon. Aside from the fact that everybody knows what a locust is, it could be that the joint appears to be by its neck, but the actual legs go further than the neck. And maybe that's what he's referring to over here. In the end, though, he agrees. Don't eat locusts. And he gives the most mind-boggling reason. You want to hear this? How many times do we mention kosher animals in the Torah? How many times? Anyone know? Come on, you got to know this. It's either one or two. Yes. You guess two. Beautiful. So there are two times. Parshas Shmini and Parshas Re'eh, which coincidentally happen to be my favorite Parshas in the entire Torah. Okay? You have Parshas Shmini and Parshas Re'eh. In Parshas Shmini, we talk about the kosher mammals, the kosher birds, or the not kosher, hold on, not kosher birds. We talk about fish that are kosher, and we talk about the locusts. In Parshas Re'eh, we mention the mammals, we mention the birds, we mention fish, and all it says in Parshas Re'eh is, All flying bugs are tame. No mention of the locusts being kosher. Not one mention there. In Shmini, we mention that locusts are kosher, we mention the Arba, the Salam, etc. But in Parshas Re'eh, it doesn't even mention the locusts. Why doesn't it mention it there? It repeats everything else. And yeah, we say for something new, something mechadish. He says the remez over here is that it's hinting that in the future, people will not eat locusts anymore because they'll lose that misora. Isn't that a brilliant shot? Why doesn't it mention over there? It must be that they're going to forget what's kosher and what's not, and therefore they'll stop eating them. That's how he understands over there, since it's forbidden to eat without a misora. Yeah, Moshe, what were you going to say? No, I don't mean like animals altogether, because then you can count any parsha, technically. They're all there. I mean like kosher animals. Oh, you mean because it says the behemosatoros, right? They're out there. Okay, I hear that. I'll, I'll grant that. But no, I'm not counting it. Absolutely not. Now, halachically, Shulchan Aruch, Simen Pehe, the Shach, this is the Sif Sekoin in Sif Bey says, we would believe a trapper who says he knows what the names of the locusts are, based on the Rambam. Now, as a side note, there's a question whether a trapper can be considered a scientist. Is a trapper a scientist or is a trapper a person who knows his stuff in the field? A scientist who studies the subject but doesn't have any field work 
is not the same as a trapper who works in the fields all the time. I know it sounds like the scientists should know more, and that is possible, but the trapper knows his stuff. He's there, he's mamish in the field dealing with these types of things. A trapper can tell us what's what. A scientist may be able to, but we trust a trapper, not necessarily a person who's a scientist, he might, unless he also has experience in the field. The Taz says in Sifkat and Aleph that we have a custom not to eat any locust. This is the Taz. Even if we know its name and it's called a Chagav, because we are no longer experts in the name. And that's where everybody's been coming from up until now. He doesn't quote the Orachayim HaKadosh. The Orachayim HaKadosh, uh, I think, lived 50 years after him, actually. But he doesn't quote the reason of the Orachayim HaKadosh. He just says, we don't do it, we're not experts. That's true even if we have all the correct simonim, which, as I said before, is true by almost every grasshopper and locust. That, that's what the Yom Lui says. The only difference would be if we had a specific Mesora that that would be kosher. And for that reason, he says, I know this sounds strange, you shouldn't play with a locust and put it near your mouth so you don't come to bite it. I know that you do this all the time, right, Danielle? That, that, that's like your normal activity. You just take this locust right here and you just put it by your mouth. And you just, right? That's why I have it in glass because it happens to me all the time where you try not to get around. Before cell phones, right, that's what people used to do, right? They had nothing else to do. There was no TV, so like in baseball, there was no baseball. So what are you going to do? You just put locusts by your mouth. But you can't do it because it will cause you to possibly eat them, so you can't go anywhere near. And you shouldn't give one to a child to play with. You shouldn't give one to a child to play with because, again, children may come to eat them, especially not a tummy one. A taller one, it's a possibility that you could use it. The, show, the truth is, even the name thing is a machlokas rishonim. The rith and a few other poskim, they poskim like the Tanakama, do you, need, you don't even need the name to be a chagav. It's others, everybody pretty much, the Ramban, the Rambam, etc., that say that you need to know the name, that has to be there. Shulchan Aruch, Pei Hei says locusts do not require shechita. You don't have to shech them. You can eat them as they are. Now, it doesn't mean you can eat them alive. That still might be Tsar Balechaim. There's a Shaila if Tsar Balechaim applies by animals as small as locusts. But it seems like there probably is, which means you probably shouldn't pour salt on top of that slug or use a little micro- magnifying glass to get onto ants. Yeah. I'm sorry? Depends on what kind of pain level it has, like the nerve level of what an animal like that would be able to take. And we don't know exactly, so the nerve endings, etc. But regardless, he says that it's excluded from the Pasuk of Zos Taurus of Behema, and it's like a fish. It's put next to the Pasuk talking about fish, and therefore it doesn't require Shechita. But the Shach still says you shouldn't eat them alive. He calls it Baltashaktu, that it's disgusting and you shouldn't do it. The Prima Gadam says even though Aver Minachai would be mutter by them, you could pull off legs and eat the legs individually while it's still alive. Again, Baltashaktu, you shouldn't do such a thing. There's a Medrash brought by the Makos that they pickled the locusts by Makas Arba because they were starving. And even those pickled locusts were flown out of their buckets when Arba ended. Lo haya Arba bechol No locusts ever came back to Mitzrayim. That's how the Pasuk says it. Even those pickled locusts went away. So I think that's how they used to eat it. So I, I talked to a Yemenite, and he told me that when he was young, that's how they used to do it. They used to pickle them in pickle juice, like actual pickles, like cucumber juice. They used to pickle them in there, and then afterward they would spice them up, right? And they would eat them like that. They would eat them like that. I asked if they ate the head, and he said, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. But they were fine with that, and that was perfectly fine. 
I said, what does it taste like? And he's like, it tastes like a bug. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no experience. Except for maybe when I was two. So I have absolutely no idea what that tastes like. I'm like, it doesn't taste like chicken? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> don't think it tastes like chicken. So we're pretty much in that area right over there. In the Sefer Moadecha Lechaim, Simon Bays, it brings down an unbelievable story. So I don't know if everybody knows this. Rechaim Knievsky has a Sefer, a locust, called Karne Chagav. He goes into many of the different halachos. Uh, and uh, it just, it's an amazing Sefer in and of itself. He t- brings down the importance of learning Bahasmodo. And he says that when a person works hard to learn Torah, really gets into it, then the Torah comes back to him in many interesting ways. He says, for example, the Yavitz, Rabbi Yaakov Emden says in his Siddur, if you learn Torah properly, you will see simanim from above. HaKadosh Baruch will give you a simon that you're doing the right thing. Like, for example, you ever open up a Sefer, you immediately find the place that you're sitting, you're like, oh my gosh, I, I, I got the right spot. You're looking for a Mari Makam, you just open up a Sefer, you pick the first Sefer, you're like, oh, this is the Sefer that I wanted. Right? That idea is that Kaddish Baruch who's shining down upon you, you're doing the right thing by working hard, so Kaddish Baruch who is rewarding you by giving such a thing. Now, goes Maimon, is Perak Aleph Alach and Hilchos Machalos Asuros, says the Ri, Rabbeinu Yitzchak, the Balitosvos, was learning the sugya of a bird called a kodan, right? And he didn't know what it was. He had some shilas on it. So it, all of a sudden, through his open window, even though this bird was not indigenous to France, the kodan flew in through his window. Flew in through his window. He checked its simanim to make sure it was a kosher bird. He saw that it was not because it didn't have a crop. And the repaskin that the kodan was not kosher because it was missing a crop. It was missing the zafik. And therefore, we pass in that way. Similarly, in the Sefer Avosenu Velanu, page 305, Rav Chaim Knievsky was one sitting and learning. This is our Rav Chaim Knievsky. was one sitting and learning about the Stumana of the Chagavim for his Sefer. He wanted to see one by himself. He asked his family to bring him books about it. And it's B'nai Brak. They didn't have any books <laughs> on locusts anywhere. So nobody could bring him any books. So one Shalash Shudas, this is how it goes, one Shalash Shudas, a locust flew in through the window and landed right near him. So all the people, his family got up and they started running out, but he stayed there and stared intently at the low. I don't think he picked it up. I would assume he didn't. If it was Shabbos, I would assume he didn't. But he stared intently at it. He wanted to see whatever he wanted to see. When he finished, the locust flew back out the window and left. Now, I have a very similar story. That once when I was saying it's Torah, a cockroach flew in through my back, my outside window, this is when I lived in Eretz Yisrael, landed on its back and distracted every single person at the table, right? So everybody was staring at behind me while I was speaking, and I'm like, what happened? And I turned around and I saw a cockroach that clearly wanted to hear my Torah. See, Rav Chaim gets a Chagav that he needed to learn about. I get a cockroach to tell me to stop talking in Torah. <laughs> that's the difference. There are other differences between me and Rav Chaim, but that's just one of them. That's a clear one that's going to be different. And that's the concept behind it. This is what, I guess you can say, what Rav Chaim Knievsky had, that he was able to see this right there with his very eyes. It's very strange, says the Sefer Aznai in Torah. By every other thing, kosher fish have fins and scales, right? Animals have those simonim of the split hooves and the chewing of the cud. Birds, there are simonim, the extra finger, the crop, the cork of oniklaf not being a doris, and everyone darshans, why these? Why these simonim? Why is this important? Why is that important? Says those nine Latorah, right? He said, I don't understand. Why does no one talk about the Chagavim? 
Why does no one talk about the four Simon of the Chagavim and explain why it's kosher, etc.? There's no drushos about it. There's nobody that talks about it. Split hooves are because animals that have a single hoof, like a horse, use their hooves to fight. The split-hooved creatures, they run, right? The fact that they chew their cud is because they chew everything down so well, etc. Maybe it's because it's better for them health-wise. The fish in the water, if they have scales, it keeps them from rotting a little bit, allows them to swim, whatever it is. But the extra legs of a locust, what does that teach us? Those Torah leaves it with the tzarachi, and he says, look, we have to do this no matter what, but it's strange that no one talks about it. So I found four svarim that talks about it and why it's written this way. The Me'ashiloch, the Ishbitzer, says, the bigger legs hint to a Gemara in Brachos Lamed Gimel that says, Das is very great, because it was given between two names of Hashem. Kel Deos Hashem. The Beisamekdish as well was in between two names of Hashem. The Gemara then asks, what about vengeance? Kel Nekamos Hashem. Right? We say that on Wednesday's Yom. And the answer, it is true. Vengeance is awesome if used properly. If used in the right way, vengeance is supposed to be a great thing. Here's the idea. Having these legs to jump with means sometimes a person has to know the right time, the right place to do what he needs to do to get from point A to point B. Pinchas knew that he had to kill Zimri and Cosby and do something extreme to become the person that he became. You have to know the right time and the right place to jump to the meat at the right time. And that's what the extra legs of the locusts stand for. To jump to do what you need to do when it's time to do it. That's very great. The shach says the sharetz of is a creature that runs and flies from place to place very quickly. Think of a fly. Think of a fly. Think of a bee. They go from place to place. Such a mida is not a good thing. It shows you have no purpose. You're not thinking. You're not going through what you need to do. You're not doing things for a reason. The bigger legs stand for ki sichra kol berech. That to you, sichra kol berech, everybody should bend. That they should do an avoda with their legs. Mima'al l'raglov. For a bigger reason than just to fly and run. When a locust uses its legs, it's supposed to do it for more than just stop flying around. It does it because it feels it needs to at this time. There's an avoda here. That's why it's low with an aleph and low with a vav. In this world, you need both. You need gashmius. You need ruchnius. You have to, so you have to be able to have both. So therefore, our bet, increase your knowledge of Torah. Salam. Put your bitachon in Hashem. Hashem tzali umitsudasi. Hashem is my rock, so to speak. Telem in yudches. Chargo means to rely on Hashem and go roll with Hashem, whatever it happens. And Chagav is the gematria of Echad 13. To remember that a Baruch Hu is one and unique. And that's what the rem is, is behind it, says the shach. The Rabbeinu Yaakov of Uchatzerah, this is the Baba Sali's grandfather. The Baba Sali was actually named for him. His name was Rabbi Yisrael Abu Chatzerah. But his father was so in awe of his, his father, Rabbeinu Masud, was so in awe of his father, Rabbeinu Yaakov, he couldn't name his son Yaakov, he only named him Yisrael, the other name. Rabbi Yisrael B'chatzera, his grandfather, Abir Yaakov, in his Sefer Pituche Chosam, says there are four bases of the Merkava, based on the Avos and Dovin Their schus protects us no matter where we go, no matter what happens. If we're chayed to be burned, Avraminu gets up. Says, I was saved from the Kivshan Aish. It were Chayiv to be killed by sword, Yitzchok Vinu gets up and says, I survived the Akeda. If we're Chayiv to go into Gullus, Yaakov Vinu gets up and says, I survived the Gullus, let my, myself be a Kapara for them. And if we're Chayiv in Yisurin, in pain, David Amalek gets up and says, My life was filled with pain, let my, me be the Kapara for them. And listen to this. 
such a, <laughs> this is how the Abir Yaakov says it. He says, Arbe is the gematria of Yitzchak, 208. If we're supposed to be killed, he saves us. Salam is the gematria of 200. Yaakov, Chai, because Yaakov in Lomes. He saves us from Gullus. Chargol can be split up into Hachal Ger, the first Ger, Hechal Ger, to start the Gerim, the first convert he saves us from the burning. Chargol is also, by the way, 247 with the Vav, plus the Kolel is 248 for Avram Avinu. Chagav is 13. You have the Kolel, that extra one, that's 14. It's the Gematria of David Amelech, saving us from Yisurin. That's what they refer to. Each one of them refers to something great. Although it doesn't talk about the big legs, I would assume the concept is that they're able to jump to help us whenever we need help. The schus avos and David Amelech is always there for us no matter what we need. In Petach Ohel, he brings another remez based on Torah, but it's an amazing thing over here. The last thing that I would tell you, I, I, maybe that's the, the easiest to go through, but there is a drush you should know that from low and low, even if it doesn't have any legs right now, the big legs right now, but if it grows them later, that still makes it mutter. There are, the only locust like that is a zachal, which I don't even know what it is. I think zachal is a word for a young, like, what are they called? A nymph? When they're the tiny little, I think they're called nymphs. The tiny little grasshoppers where they grow. That's kosher, even though at the time it doesn't have the big legs. If it's known as one of the other names, that does count even if it doesn't have one of those legs. We'll stop with that, everybody. Have a great Shabbos, and you can eat them if you